penultimate chapter. Whoa. Do you have a character? Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? You think I'm an amateur? I think this is amateur hour here? Sometimes. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing the penultimate chapter of The Last Battle. Chapter 15 is titled Further Up and Further In. I am Alice, lost in Wonderland, having lost her muchiness also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. Okay, look, we can't just start doing okay, but outside she's gone, characters. She's gone through the looking glass, and it's reflected like mirrors, uh-huh. and seeing less of the world than what it is, and it's just, there's so much more colors, and it's so much brighter, and this is just like, the old Narnia had lost its muchiness. Just because we're in the penultimate chapter does not mean you can just break all the traditions. And ruin it here. But Alice is clearly in this chapter. Uh Uh-huh. Hi, Alice. Also known as Kristen. (laughs) And this is my co-host. I'm a guard uh, from Calarmine who's been tasked by the Tarkhand. Well, let me tell you a little bit about this job. So I've been tasked by the Tarkhand to stand right inside the door of this shed, you see. And uh, anybody who comes to the door that's not, like, on this really approved list of people that are supposed to come in and see, quote-unquote, Tash and keep up the illusion, I'm supposed to just kill them so it looks like the fury of Tash is raining down upon them uh, and everybody else gets scared to go in. So I'm standing there inside the door, and what do I see but this random other color? I mean, like, Emmeth comes on through. Like, me and Emmeth are drinking buds. Like, we play poker on Sunday nights. I don't want to kill him, but I got orders are orders. Anyway, my name is Chris. <laughs> I'm also known as Chris. Hi, Chris. How are you today? I'm good. I thought it was really clever when I came up with that. Did you? Yeah. Very clever. Anyway, this is going to be one of Your those. Your biggest up. complaint about this chapter is that it is the third retelling of the story you decided to tell a fourth time. Correct. For your introduction. Yeah. I'll probably do it again in so the... So you uh, resent this chapter for something, and you think that I'm not going to be annoyed <laughs> at you. You just think I'm going to go with it and be delighted at your creativity. Yeah. I'll probably do it again in the episode description, too. Uh-huh. Because I like running a joke into the ground. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> so Aslan's Jesus, and... Uh, wow. This isn't a... Uh, Aslan is not Tash. This we established that This is a, a color means strategy uh, podcast. No. Not usually. So anyway, how are you, Kristen? Sick. Hmm. You do sound a little bit better right now. Yeah, that's... Give it about ten more minutes of trying to talk, and we'll see how that goes. Okay. I'll do most of the talking in this one. You already have. That's what... That's <laughs> what people want. Anyway, so how do we start this podcast? 
We start with our summaries. So as you and I are reading through the chapter, we select five sentences out of the chapter, as you well know. Listeners, I'm saying this all for your benefit. As we, <laughs> as we select those sentences, we kind of put them on paper, and then we read them here. So, Also, this is your first episode in the penultimate chapter of the final book. That You're a weirdo. Uh, go go back somewhere, anywhere else. Start anywhere else, just not in this episode. Would you like to do your summary first, Kristen, or should Look, I? Look, you don't have to be the gatekeeper of the fandom. <laughs> okay? Okay? Suddenly we have a fandom. We don't need a gatekeepers. <laughs> gatekeepers are like, no. They're just... Okay. Who's no. doing their summary first? Go ahead and do yours first. Since you're eating an apple, crunchily, on the mic. Am I crunchily? Am I really? <laughs> is this is this crunchy? <laughs> Am I making crunchy sounds? Anyway, here's my summary. And though my heart was turned into water inside me because of the greatness and terror of Tash, yet my desire was stronger than my fear, and I put force upon my knees to stop them from trembling, and on my teeth that they should not chatter, and resolved to look upon the face of Tash though he should slay me. But the glorious one bent down his golden head and touched my forehead with his tongue and said, Son, thou art welcome. And they stared at him for a whole ten seconds before five or six voices said all at once, Why, it's old Puzzle! All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures, had been drawn th into the real Narnia through that door. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. There you go. Okay. Awesome. Um, you included Puzzle. I don't think I did. Um... I didn't feel like it was... I mean, we, we never... It's something I want to talk a lot about, is puzzle, but I, like, I knew I was going to talk about it, so I didn't want to force it into my summary. Yeah. Um, but also, like, your first two sentences in and of themselves are, like, enough to be a complete summary of this chapter, so... Kind of, sort of. All right, here's mine. And then I understood that he did not believe in Tash at all, for if he had, how could he dare to mock him? Beloved, said the glorious one, unless they did... Unless thy desire had been for me, then thou wouldst not have sought so long and so truly. Is it not Aslan's country, said Tyrion? All of the old Narnia that mattered, all of the dear creatures, have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. Come further up, come further in. Hey, look, chapter title. I feel like you have the world's most specific form of dyslexia. Like there's exactly one word. It's, it's not, not even an English word that you cannot read correctly to save your life. I wrote I wrote it as Tyrion. And I read it correctly. Uh-huh. Anyway. So, um let's get let's first things first, let's get this out of the way. Hooray penultimate chapter. Uh, Lewis ran out of ideas. Like he does in every penultimate chapter. He does. This has been a theme through the entire series. This is the seventh time. We we start by wasting two entire pages of this chapter at the end of the book uh, with telling the same story for a third time. Yes, the story uh, of Emmeth through the door. Yes. We have seen it from outside the door. We've seen it from inside the door. Now we're hearing it from Emmeth's perspective. Yeah. This is the entire point of this book. Apparently. Why is this so important? What's what's the deal with Emmeth? Why is he like... Why, why, is... why, Chris? Why is this so important? He's the Gentile. 
He's the one who's brought in. It's just, he's, he's the lesson that we can reach the pagan peoples of the world. He is. He is the universalist Aslan. Whoa. That is what he is the presentation of. Yeah. Aslan as accepting of anyone who did good. Yeah. That their good was done unto Aslan. Yeah, this is a heavy theological chapter. Uh, finally, we get one of those in this book. <laughs> Man, we haven't really gotten one of those. I know you how you love the theological chapters, and you've been itching for one. Oh, yeah. Um, so we start off uh, where we left off last chapter, where the assembled party is talking to Emeth uh, in Narnia, I guess? We find that out in this chapter. In in the, in in the, the new Narnia. In the wood. But they're talking to Emeth in the, in the wood. And they're just like, how'd you get here? And he's just like, let me tell you, even though Eustace already figured all this out and you have already heard the story and like, you know exactly what happened. Let me tell you from my perspective, because that's important. Yep. Um, so he's the noble son of one of the Tarkans, uh, really upset that he got pulled into Narnia through trickery and deceit. Oh yeah. He had um, a great amount of pride yeah. in wanting to come and conquer Narnia. Yep. But uh, when he found out that they were going to do it through subterfuge, he was a little... He was just like, no. Uh, this so, isn't... This is shameful. So, I mean, it's like a paladin. Uh, definitely not a rogue. Mm, yeah. He's like, nope. Uh, I guess he got, I guess lawful neutral here. I don't want to say good, because he's just like, yeah, I want to go conquer Narnia, but, like, very lawful, and he mm-hmm. doesn't want to use trickery to do it. Uh, he's really, really into Tash. Loves Tash. Well, it's uh, what he grew up with his whole life. Yes. Uh, and then gets here and realizes the whole thing is just uh, a ruse and a scam. Uh, yeah, I know. really liked, I really wanted to make a point of having my first sentence um, be what it was with the idea that Emmeth is upset with Rishta for mocking Tash. Because yes. he realizes that Rishta doesn't believe in Tash at all throughout all of this. Uh-huh. And he feels that he's mocking Tash. Yeah. And that's and that's when he gets his righteous indignance. <laughs> and then what happened? He took authority <laughs> in Tash. <laughs> um so yeah, he gets super upset that they're making a mockery of this whole thing. Like obviously that Rishta doesn't believe in Tash at all, like uh, and he wants to, uh, confront everybody about this, and he gets his chance when he gets to go into the, the shed. Uh, and it's just like, you know what, even though it's gonna kill me, probably, because, like, Tash is basically the Ark of the Covenant, and you look upon him, you're dead. Uh, I'm gonna go in and prove my faith by, by doing so. And he does, and, oh, lo and behold, what is there inside the shed? There's some old Calarmine yep. who's lying in wait to kill him. Because he's not on the list of people that's supposed to come through and, like, continue this little uh, play they got going on. Uh, so he goes in and is yeah. like, well, hey, look, another non-believer. Gotta kill him. Yeah, because he is out. part of this mockery of Tash. Yeah, and that's what happens when we see the old man who is not Emmeth get thrown outside the... Uh, yes, which the we stable. already knew. Yep, so we already knew all that, so no reason to spend any time on it whatsoever. Yep. Um... So that was five minutes that you just spent on it. <laughs> well, we still have to make the length of the podcast. Plus your character description. Look. <laughs> um, this is the part This is the part I don't understand. Because, like, bo- you finished the chapter, 
you did your sentences this morning, and you're like, I'm going to save this for the podcast, but I'm so annoyed that Lewis spent so much time on this. Yeah. And you've spent this much time, and we're a third of the way through our podcast. I've spent less than 10 minutes on this. Lewis, I'm sure, sat down and spent hours and hours writing editing this. Mm-hmm. Like, he, the time commitment that he spent on this was much, much higher. Anyway. So, uh, then, suddenly... So you're mad at Lewis for wasting your time. Again, you're wasting my time right now. No. <laughs> that is precisely what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Making a point here. So, anyway... Uh, then he finds himself in this sweet smelling country with all the cool fruit trees and like not inside the dirty stable at all. Uh, so he is able to come in. I'm sorry. In this sweet smelling country. <laughs> this sweet smelling country. It's country time lemonade. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is worth uh, pausing just a little bit on that to say that Ameth was fully, fully detached, like fully committed to this other god, this other belief system. He was like really into this. Uh, so much so that he was willing to die for it. Uh, some would say, we can argue about this later, some would say deceived because he's not saying the truth of Aslan, but the, he's very set in his ways, in much the same way that the dwarves are. And yet Emeth comes through and he can see the country and he can be a part of this, whereas the dwarves can't. Well, the dwarves want Narnia for themselves. Mm-hmm. The dwarves want to have their own power. Emeth yeah. is still seeking a divine. Yeah. So just, it's it's not even necessarily about the belief in Aslan, it's a belief in something. Yeah. And, and I mean, is a... this is the part where I really question, like, the comparison that I made earlier. I mean, if we're going to go into the theology side of things. I think we have to. We've talked, I've talked earlier uh, in the series about the Kalarmines kind of being an analog for Muslims. Uh-huh. And this idea that Tash and this idea of Tashlan being this kind of unified image of, of God, uh, the Abrahamic God of the Judeo-Christian tradition and the, being the same as Allah. Uh-huh. And this idea that like Tashlan is this combination and saying, you know, like Allah is God. But then at the end of this book, we still have like we have Emeth willing to die for this, like for Allah and finding out that he died for Aslan. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going in there for Tash and Aslan accepts him. Yeah. And says everything good you've done, you've done unto me. It says everything good you've done, you've done for me, and I receive that. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, it's super, like, it's very jumbled from a theological standpoint. Uh, If you're not, if you're not Unitarian, or not, not Unitarian, if you're not Universalist. Uh Uh-huh. Which is, which I would, I would say C.S. Lewis is not particularly Universalist. Like, he has some some leanings when it comes to his discussion of eternity and hell and things like that that, yeah. that would contradict the traditional Christian view of, of punishment and things like that. Yeah. But I wouldn't say he's particularly universalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I no. mean, we, we have established that Lewis's uh, theology as presented in this book isn't necessarily... A direct mirror of his theology in yeah, real life. Yeah, yeah, no, I, like he's changed it up and and 
uh, I forget the way we've talked about the way Lewis describes this book because when he talked about it. He says that it's a supposition. Yeah. It's it's a supposed supposing that this was a real world this is how yeah. he believes god would present himself in this kind of world yeah this is not allegory Correct. so he has the freedom there where he's just like he doesn't have to do a one one mirror that you would have to do an allegory to be like oh this is this and this is this yes so it is different here it's uh you know it's a really interesting idea to present to like the nine-year-olds that are supposed to be reading this like it's a really heavy uh yeah. concept <laughs> yeah like couple of those in this chapter um but i think he does it in a kind of a decent way but yeah he uh emeth goes and has a conversation with aslan uh aslan you know just suddenly appears and emeth uh, immediately realizes he's been wrong his entire life yep um which again which even then he tells aslan straight up like i didn't do anything for you i despised you you know like yeah the name of Aslan was hateful to Emmeth, is what he says. Yeah. And that he did everything for Tash. Yeah. I I find this moment kind of interesting as well because, you know, Aslan appears, and this has happened more than once in the books where Aslan shows up and people see him and they're just like, Ermagerd, I've been wrong. This is obviously like, this is obviously Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, which is a very different reception than like, real jesus got <laughs> a lot of the time and stories about him well we're talking like, about like the physical versus like the af- like the angelic kind of presentation i guess yeah but uh yeah it's it's a thing where just like aslan shows up and as soon as people see aslan and realize he's real it's just like yep falling on my knees like this is yeah uh have to give reverence to you yeah which is you know not how jesus was treated Mm-hmm. at all so uh it's kind of a i don't know I'm not saying aslan's better than jesus <laughs> we're not making that statement yeah but it's a it's a different approach uh, maybe lions are just scarier than you know five foot five jewish dudes <sighs> that's <laughs> i mean which which one the, would you rather encounter in the woods the idea of of Aslan being presented as the lion, though, is very much in line with this imagery of the lion description of of Jesus, the lion of Judah, things like that. Like, yeah. this is very, it's, it's very one-to-one with that kind of descriptive, descriptive, prophetic speaking, poetic speaking about Jesus in the Bible. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, anyway, so... Emmeth comes across this lion that's the size of an elephant and swift as a something. Swift as what? An ostrich. An ostrich. Uh-huh. Just got to work in all the African animals here into this metaphor. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh-huh. He's as thick-skinned as a hippo. And this... <laughs> and uh, anyway. So Constant I was saying... as a tsetse fly. <laughs> see that one coming <laughs> um anyway yep so aslan immediately forgives uh emeth for his lifetime of wrong beliefs uh and 
we should spend a little bit of time in this conversation because I feel like it's a conversation that is kind of near and dear to your heart and your, uh, you know, past interpretations of theology that you've shared with me, where Emmeth is just like, yeah, I've done nothing for you. I've never believed in you. Uh, you know, I've served Tash all my life. And Azan is just like, no, you've done good things. And me and Tash are so different that anything good that you do is automatically done in my name. Because you cannot do something good in the name of Tash because that's the antithesis of what Tash is. Yeah, not because he and I are one, but because we are opposites, I take to me the service which thou hast done to him. Uh For I and he are such different kinds that no service which is vile can be done to me, and none which is not vile can be done to him. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if any man swear by Tash and keep his oath for the oath's sake, it is by me that he has truly sworn. Though he knows, though he know it not, and it is I who reward him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we, I'm, I'm not really wanting to get into this too personally. <laughs> okay. Um, I was gonna leave that ball in your court if you wanted to. Yeah, because like, yeah, I don't personally. Yeah, and it's, there's just there's yeah, there's a lot personally for me that that kind of hits on that i don't know if i'm comfortable talking about on the podcast okay uh, i mean i was specifically referring to you know the the idea that you've shared before of being like all truth is god's truth uh have i and, talked about that on the podcast uh, at some point yeah okay well i mean uh, i believe it's an augustine quote that says all truth is god's truth and i had a professor who would addendum that and say all beauty is god's beauty and all goodness is god's goodness mm-hmm. um uh, that was uh, Dr. Cotton, uh, one of my English professors um, in college. And with those kinds of things, like, yeah, I do feel like this is kind of the angle that's taken. It's very Augustinian. It's very just like, yeah, all good things that have been done have been done unto God. Like, all all truth that has been revealed is, is some evidence of Aslan. Yeah. I like that idea. I think... It toes a very, very fine line uh, in the presentation here between that and I don't want to say something as, I don't know, all-encompassing as like the erasure of culture, but this idea of like, oh, hey, your culture and your background doesn't matter. Because all the things that you were doing through a good, you were actually doing through for, you know, me in this other culture. Like, you, whatever. You're, you're the whole Tash thing that's, that's hmm. inconsequential. Yeah, and, it is a little... <sighs> yeah, you're right. So, it is a little ugly in the way that it very much erases the Calarmine culture. Yeah. So it, it gets really close to stepping over that line of just being like, no, there's only one right way to have uh have a culture or have faith or practice anything well it's not necessarily saying there's only one right way but it's saying that anything that's done right by this standard yeah is right yeah regardless of what your culture has ever taught you about right and wrong yeah so i don't think it crosses over that line it just it gets it gets very close with it for sure yeah uh anyway so they have this heart to heart uh, Aslan blesses Emmeth and is just like, yep, you're welcome in my country, come Calls on. Calls him beloved, and that really affected him a lot. Yep. 
uh, and Ameth is on fully on board Team Aslan now. Uh, Aslan breathes upon him, takes away his fear, and then he gets up and is just like, cool. Uh, and Ameth has a much, much friendlier encounter here with Aslan than uh, Trumpkin, Trumpkin did. did. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, he gets kissed and like called son and come into my country. Like, yeah, Trumpkin got thrown in the yeah. air and wrestled. Yep. And all Trumpkin ever did was just like, I'm not sure about this Aslan guy. Yep. Like, he didn't spend his whole life in service to a demon god. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think the the difference in treatment there is kind of worth noting. Yeah. Uh, and so, anywho, uh, that's what happens with Emeth, and that's why he's here. Uh, and then he casually insults dogs, but whatever uh, well and the dogs <laughs> casually insult humans yeah a uh, little bit of tit for tat there uh and then puzzle shows up puzzle hey he's here in his too beautiful renewed fluffy gray coat yep he's he's now a gorgeous but they've never seen him in the sunlight yep yeah i guess that's kind of true like they only ever saw him in the sunlight with the uh skin still on yeah that's true yeah so they're just like oh hey you're an actual donkey and not just some sort of like weird uh, you actually have a line. pretty yeah. coat and yeah. you're gray. We didn't know that your gray fur was gray. Yeah. <laughs> Gorgeous. Anyway, he comes out of nowhere. Uh, and everybody's excited to see him. Uh, apparently, he's been avoiding everybody this entire time. Yeah. Um. So about that, <laughs> we saw everybody come through the door and have to look Aslan in the face. Never had a conversation with Puzzle. Puzzle did not have to look Aslan in the face. Or he did, and we just didn't talk about it. No, he specifically says he hasn't met Aslan. He hasn't looked Aslan in the face. He specifically says it. He is, he is dreading having to meet Aslan uh-huh. in this whole conversation. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. So first of all, we have Lucy, who's never met Puzzle before and has no idea who he is, and Jill, run over, hug, and kiss Puzzle all over. Uh-huh. Lucy has no idea who he is. Um, and she just rushes over and gushes love all over him. Well, Lucy's just really into donkeys. Then we have this quote from, from Puzzle that says, But what I'll do if I really have to meet Aslan, I'm sure I don't know. Uh-huh. And Lucy says, You'll find it will be all right when you really do, said Queen Lucy. But he came through the door and hid from his friends. Yeah. Saw them, avoided them. Yeah. Also somehow avoided Aslan. So I don't understand Man. anything about this. Like, did did Lewis just remember that puzzle was there? And he was like, oh, oops, I do need to resolve that. And I didn't want to resolve it at the doorway. What, what don't we know about puzzle? Is yeah, a, like... Is he another one of these, did like... Did puzzle uh, die and come here earlier and hide from them? Like... I think, it, like, that's probably what makes the most sense is, like... I mean, the dwarves end up here without having to look Aslan in the face. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that, you know, Puzzle got in before the whole judgment thing at the doorway happened. Yeah. So. But even then, we had Emmeth come in and wander around for a while and still met Aslan. Yeah. Don't know. Uh, I mean, we have one more chapter to figure this out. Like, if this doesn't get resolved, that's just forever a mystery in the annals of Narnia, I suppose. Yeah, because I feel like... The next chapter is literally just going to be five-page-long list of everyone from the previous books that they're like, oh, hey, we found you again. Yeah. We met you again. Yay. Yeah. Hey, look, it's this guy. Yeah, it's just, no, it's just everybody from all the books. Now, my question is, um, 
did... Are we going to get a resolution to what's happening with those that are with Tash? Like Rishta. And my next question is, what happened to the White Witch? Like, what happened to Jadis? Like, is she with Tash? Or is she, is she with some charm deity? Like, it, what... I want to know. I want to know because we had Tash presented here, specifically Tash. Yeah. And like, is there some universal anti-Aslan like, or like, I don't know. Anyway. So yeah, we have one chapter left and this chapter also goes into all of this as they, as they meet Puzzle and they start wandering further up and further in as it were. Westward. They start to see... Mountain ranges that remind them of Narnia. Hills that remind them of Narnia. And suddenly they realize, we might be in Narnia. It's not Narnia. The colors are more vivid. The flavors are more potent. Like, everything is is more intense. More real. But it also could be somewhere that we went on vacation when we were kids. Oh, yeah, totally. Could, could. <laughs> okay. Might be Narnia. Might be Narnia. This is an Aslan's country. Yeah, is it Aslan's country, though? Uh, Was Narnia just always a shadow of Aslan's country? Whoa, dude. I mean, uh, this chapter implies that Narnia was a shadow of real Narnia. Yes. Capital R, capital N. Yeah. Uh, but is real Narnia Aslan's country? Don't know. We've been there. I mean, the the quote is, uh, is this... Is it not Aslan's country, said Tyrion. Not like Aslan's country on top of that mountain beyond the eastern end of the world, said Jill. I've been there. Yeah. So, looks like Narnia, except deeper and more real and more vibrant. Okay, but what does this mean about, like, what is the wood between the worlds? Like, what is the wood between the worlds? What is the area on top of the mountain? Like, is that Aslan's country? Is the wood between the worlds something else entirely? Is it, like, Aslan's creative space away from everybody? Like, It's his office. What is... What... So, is this is this the, the stories about the new heaven and the new earth? Where this is the, the new Aslan's country and the new Narnia? Yeah, I would... Like, I'd, they're just in the new Narnia? I assume that's a kind of a direct Then reference. why is everything in Narnia a reflection of the new Narnia? Is this the new Narnia? But it predates Narnia. Like, Narnia is just a shadow of this Narnia. Uh, yeah, I mean, we talk about the same... I mean, we kind of get... I don't want to say we get into this idea, but we reference the idea when we start to realize it's Narnia, and then... Farsight even pops in and says, there's Care Paravellas over there. And Diggory. And and Diggory is just like, oh yeah, this is obvious. I mean, well, you know, this is this is Plato. It's all in Plato. What do they teach your kids in school these days? Yes, Professor Kirk is just being Professor Kirk again. Um, back, but different, you know, from back when he's he's saying things that he said back when his beard was gray. Yeah, old gray beard <laughs> Diggory. No, no gold beard Diggory. Uh, but no, he's he's talking about the Plato's cave analogy, uh, where if anybody's not familiar, it's. Uh, a pre, I don't want to say pre-Christian, it's pre-Christian, I think. It's not pre-Judaism, but it's pre-Christian idea where 
it harkens back to this major idea in Greek philosophy of the eidos, where any anything you look at in any object is not the thing in and of itself, is uh, the way they refer to it. So if you look at a desk, that's not a desk. That's the uh, It's an idea of a desk. It's an image of a desk, but it's not the real thing itself. And for anything in reality, there is this perfect ideal that exists of it. Yeah. That anything you see is just a reflection of. Well, the allegory of the cave at its core comes down to the effects of education and, like, how knowing a thing, yeah. having a word for a thing, lets you understand a thing. Yeah. And how not having it inhibits you from being able to understand it. Yeah. And so it's, you know, this is the fully realized version of Narnia. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to get real deep into, like, Christian eschatological thought, which is a hard word to say, but if you want to get into that, like, there are different ideas of, like, you know, linear time doesn't really matter, and this the new earth that's supposed to exist is already here, and it's just, like, when the new earth is created, we're pulling back a veil on the world and revealing what was here all along. Like, the kingdom of God exists on earth already. It's just a revelation of it rather than something that is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you could talk about that stuff for days and days. Uh, but, yeah, the, the the gist of it is, uh, this is New Nardia. This is what it was supposed to be the entire time. Yeah. And uh, Lewis couldn't resist getting one last jab in at the uh, modern educational system. <laughs> <laughs> Which Kristen laughed really hard when she read that for the first time. I did. You you were sitting next to me when I read that line. Uh-huh. That's true. What are they teaching you kids? They're not teaching you about Plato. Yeah, but this whole thing, like, he then goes in, Lewis just goes into this long description of, like, how if you saw something out of a window and then turned around and caught a glimpse of it through a mirror <laughs> through the window. And I was just like, we've already said all of this, uh-huh. like, four times, like, this entire chapter could have been two paragraphs. Mm-hmm. And a puzzle said he didn't see Aslan yet. Like, and that's it. Like, it could have been two paragraphs in a sentence. Yes. But, you know, we had and to... And further up and further in. We had to pat out the book a little bit. Uh, but yeah, we realized it's actually Narnia. Cool. We're in new Narnia. Everything that mattered got pulled through. So we shouldn't mourn for... We shouldn't mourn for what was lost because it's still here. And that's the loophole of why Peter's allowed in in the first place because he was just like, I was told I wasn't allowed to come back. It's not Narnia. It's just Narnia. It's Narnia. <laughs> it's not Narnia. It's Narnia. In all caps. Uh, and then the unicorn, Jewel, you know, Jewel doesn't get a name anymore. It's just the unicorn mm-hmm. who sums up what everybody's thinking. Uh Whereas I've come home at last, I belong here, you know, we liked the old Narnia because it looked a little bit like this place and it reminded us of home and where we were supposed to be all along. Mm. And then he takes off running and everybody follows and much to their amazement, they can keep up with Jewel. The sprinting unicorn. Yep. Uh, That's a thing they don't tell you in the Bible about heaven is that everybody can run 60 miles an hour. Oh yeah. That's a very important part of the afterlife. Absolutely. (laughs) Don't think you can fly or anything. That's just too far-fetched. You can't fly around in this new Narnia. Mm-mm. You can run really fast, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody, uh, what's up? They go further up and further in. And Lewis uses yet another train analogy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I did mark that. 
because he just can't tell us anything without comparing it to a train anymore. Yep, I did mark that. <laughs> the country flew past as if they were seeing it from the windows of an express train. Uh-huh. Well, it, it's, it's, it's a really awkward two sentences. I just want to read this out, like, as it appears in the book. The air flew in their faces as if they were driving fast in a car without a windscreen. The country flew past as if they were seeing it from the windows of an express train. Uh-huh. We're already in a car. <laughs> we're already in a car feeling the air. Why do we have to then compare the view to the windows of an express train? Like, why are we switching vehicles in the same analogy? I don't know. <laughs> don't know what to tell you. Anyway, that upset me. Okay. I was just like, Why? It's a, it's a good question. Uh, anyway, that's the end of the chapter. Cool. We have one more. We have one more chapter. The yep. ultimate chapter the in the series. Finalmente. We're about to finish Narnia. We are about to finish Narnia. <sighs> it's heavy. We yeah. have one more chapter. That's crazy. Yeah. Only one more chapter. We've been doing this for two years. Yeah. I've been so, here. Yeah. I'm, I might get a little bit emotional next episode. We'll <laughs> see. But, yeah. uh... Whew. Yeah. Anything we want to talk about? Uh, I think we covered a lot. I mean, there's there's all tons and tons of deep theology we can get into this chapter that's not really the scope of this podcast, but... Um, no, I think I'm good. I all think right. we got all my notes. So we move on to our next segment. Sure. Uh, yeah, let's do our next segment, which is our rewrites. Yep. Uh, and in this one, if you're unfamiliar, we just take five sentences out of the chapter, use them to write, write a different story entirely, or in my case, uh, really just phoned it in because this was a really hard chapter to rewrite. Uh, a lot of long sentences and long sentences don't serve us well for this purpose. Yep. But since I read my summary first, do you want to read your rewrite first? Sure thing. I'll do that. Here's my rewrite. I belong here. I can't describe it any better than if ever you get there, you'll know what I mean. Doubtless, this is some other deception. That's not a nice word to use. Remember where you are. Okay. Okay. Very open-ended. Yeah. like it. Uh, I, you have a sentence in common with me. Shocking. <laughs> it really is. Like, it is. Like you always say that, like obviously we've chosen the same sentences for the rewrite, but like of all the of all the sentence options we have, yeah, it's unlikely that we would choose the same one. Is it? Uh, so anywho, here's you just you just made the point that it's a very long sentence heavy chapter. Yes, that, that's correct. So I chose a, a bunch of sentences. short sentences. So did I. Uh, I didn't actually write a story either. I just wrote a little exchange. Yeah. Um. So here's mine. That's not a nice word to use. It is too good to waste on jokes. Ooh. Or girls. They're different. Yes, so they are, said Peter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like it. Nice. I like it. <laughs> I don't know what the word is, but... I, I enjoyed that, though. Thank you. Thought you'd find that amusing. Alrighty. So should we move on to our last segment? Certainly. Let's do it. This cool. is our last uh burr, burr. Burr, 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 burr. 
Is this the last one? No. Okay. This no. is our last. Uh, this is settling on our last finalist. Okay. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> so we are now coming into the ultimate conflict, which is Chris's adventure through um, uh, violence descending upon Narnia. And he is exploring who would win in a knockdown, drag out, ultimate fight to the death conflict in Narnia to see who will take all. Yes. And as we have been going through, we've selected randomly. Uh, what do you what do you call it? A draft style. Yeah, draft brackets, whatever. Bracket brackets, coming all the way up to. We have one finalist secured. That's going to be Lucy. And today we're deciding on who the other finalist will be in this the battle between Corin, Thunderfist, and Puddleglum. <laughs> do you have your list of locations? Uh, yes, I do. I rolled three, and in my notes, three is the Calarmine Desert. Calarmine Desert, yeah. There we go. So we're out in the desert. We have Puddle Glum versus uh, Prince Corrin yep. in the Calarmine Desert. Uh, right off the bat, I don't think the location's going to really change much here. Oh, uh, you the, don't? I mean, Corrin's familiar. He's been there. He's climbed the walls of the city. He's gotten <laughs> in fights and scuffles. He's got his confidence up. And there's no water for Puddle Glum to use his water bending on. Yeah, I guess Puddle Glum's a water critter. That's a. I, is it is it demeaning to call him a critter? He's a he's a water based uh, mm. being. Uh, as we know, the uh, the marshwickles do all of the water based jobs in, in Narnia. They're everywhere. Yes, everywhere. Um, <laughs> We've seen them throughout the entire yep. series. Yeah, <laughs> major major part of the Narnian culture. Everything water based. Yeah. Um. So I do guess you're right there, where uh, Puddleglum is very literally out of his element here. Yes. Uh, and. Don't know if the general dryness and lack of humidity is going to affect his uh, reality-bending magic at all here. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, we have Corrin Thunderfist, who is the martial champion of Narnia through all time. Uh, and Not Narnia, Arkenland. Arkenland, but, like, has successfully fought bears. Yes. Uh, knocked bears out, like, when he was ten years old, he was, like, knocking out adults in fist fights. Yep. Like, uh... He he! If Puddle Glum gets within striking range of Corrin, we can all agree it's done. It's it's all oh, over. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Puddle, Puddle Glum definitely <laughs> has him out uh, stretched on arm reach, though. He does. Uh, it says Puddle Glum is very long and spindly, like a spider or a frog or whatever other critter that we've compared him every, to. Every every other critter. <laughs> every critter. He's some sort of like weird spider frog. Yep. Um. We do know that... Maybe a spider crab, like the ones we found at the beach. I think we've established that Puddle Glum, at least, is pretty decent as an archer. Yep. Like, he, he knows how his way around a bow. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of open space in the desert, could definitely, you know, use his long spider legs to, you know, get the jump on... Well, not get the jump on Corrin, <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm sorry. You've got so many analogies. <laughs> I I'm do. I'm having a really hard time <laughs> keeping track. It's really hard. Uh... To uh, kind of stride away from Corrin and keep him at uh, out of arm's reach and just pepper him with arrows. And so I think he has a viable strategy here, even without using his magics. Uh, which we, uh, to be fair, I don't think we really included in his previous fight with Glenstorm. His Corrin. ability to, uh, you know, influence the world yeah. in a passive way. 
so I don't know what uh what are your thoughts here? Uh, my thoughts are that this is your game. It is, but it's fun to and that you, you have on. on multiple occasions fought really hard to not seem like you're favoring um, Puddleglum <laughs> yes. and put him at an unfair disadvantage. I do, just because Puddleglum is my favorite character in the entire series. I've read the whole thing now, except for one chapter, so I can confidently say that Puddleglum's your favorite character in the whole series. Yeah, I think so. Oh wow, you spoiled that for us. <laughs> I mean, I might revise that when we do our book wrap-up wrap up episodes, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, if... Uh, I think Puddleglum is definitely, as we've seen, the smarter and more conniving of the two. Mm-hmm. Like, he he can definitely plan and see things in the future a little bit better than Corrin can. He's much more... Uh, Corrin's much more impulsive. Yes. And so I don't think uh, Corrin's going to be able to go into this with a in-depth strategy his whole strategy is just like i'm gonna punch him and knock him out yeah um so i think on strategy alone and the fact that puddle glum is going to be able to cover more ground keep corin out of you know away from him basically like i think it, the more i think about it the desert is actually going to be working puddle glum's advantage maybe puddle because glum, huh? if oh because he's got yeah if we were in close quarters yeah yeah Yeah. if we were in close quarters like uh you know the ship if we were on the deck of the uh the dawn treader (laughs) or even in a wooded area yeah with more obstacles yeah but wide open spaces i think might work for him uh i think as as much as like i i this is going to be a hard one to call because I also love Corrin. I love yeah. Corrin as a character so much. Yeah, that's why I was shocked you said Puddleglum's your favorite. I'm like, you're sitting here with talking about him in the same I mean, conversation with I mean, it's, it's, it's one and two. The, these, these are like your top two. The, these are my two favorite characters that in the and entire your series. version of Tumness. Yeah. <sighs> all great. Uh, just hate all of the main characters. All the books, <laughs> they all suck. Uh, you like Eustace eventually. Yeah, he gets better. Um, yeah, I'm trying really hard to figure out a way to give it to Corrin, but I don't think I can. Okay. I think I have to give it to Puddleglum just because, like, it's, it's, there have to be a real specific set of mistakes that Puddleglum would have to make in order for Corrin to win, and I don't think Puddleglum makes mistakes. Okay. Except that one time he, you know, kicked a burning thing and hurt himself. Which was not a mistake. That's true. He had to, he had to re-roll his save. (laughs) He did. So he took some damage. Yeah. So yeah, I can give it to Puddleglum, and that means our final battle for all of Narnia is going to be Lucy v. Puddleglum, two characters that have never met. Yep. Neither have Corrin and Puddleglum, but uh, yeah. There we go. There we go. Let me fill in my bracket. (laughs) I gave myself enough room to write Corrin, not Puddleglum. And then go ahead and roll a d10, and we'll figure out... Actually, no, no, no. No, we'll roll that next time. Don't even try to jump this right now. No, I'm not. I'm just... I'm just I, I think for next time, we won't even use this, and we're just going to come up with a, a, a final arena. Ooh, that's going to be arena. It's going to be different. We'll see. So, all right. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. And thank you, listeners, so much for joining us as we uh, went through the penultimate chapter... The penultimate chapter of The Last Battle. And uh, if you want to interact with us for Narnia-related things for your last chance is coming soon, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can email us your fan art. 
of a reflection of Narnia in through a window in a mirror. Um, reflection of Narnia in a mirror through a window? You can do that at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. Light's crazy, huh? Light's weird. Birds are weird. Light's weird. Narnia's weird. Aslan's Jesus. So until next time, remember, Aslan's Jesus. And uh, don't say girls. It's a bad word. It is. It's a rude word. It really is. Don't call a woman a girl. It's so rude. Thank you. You're welcome. People being like, did you hire, you hired a new person? Is it a girl? I'm like, no, I don't hire children. Thank you. Bye. Bye. professional Narnia podcaster. Thank you very much. Yeah? Yeah. Just for a living? Would like to. You'd like to? Uh Uh-huh. Just gotta get more patrons. Yeah. And by more patrons, I mean like a thousand more patrons. Yeah. (laughs) Then we can successfully do it. You're looking at me like I just grew a third eye. No. Oh, this is had a facial twitch. Is it not Aslan's country? Said Trinian. <laughs> I wrote Trinian again. Come on. The colors are more vivid. The flavors are more poop. Jazar. Just where we smack a ruler on the desk. So I sent it as a seat sea fly. So I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> so how do we start this podcast? Uh we start by doing our rewrites. Uh so re- as- really? What are they called? <laughs> Summaries, Kristen. It's the same thing. <laughs> this whole book, they've been the same thing. We've done this for seven books. Yes, but this whole book, every rewrite has just been another summary. Uh-huh. Mine, it's a second summary. Mine is not this time.